oh my god hospice is called and he's taking a turn we're trying to get on a plane and then it was that was one update and then the next one was like my dad being like we made it your mom's with your grandpa he is on like oxygen and morphine and she thought she didn't recognize him And then the next one was like, oops, he died in the night. John W. Lowe ended up dying at the age of 95. Unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to interview him. Just weeks before his death, he was diagnosed with cardiac amyloidosis, which is a buildup of a protein around the heart. A prognosis for a 30-year-old with this condition would be 6 to 12 months. But because he was 95, the prognosis was significantly shorter. But Mr. Lowe was no ordinary 95-year-old. He was a lawyer who practiced law at the same firm until he retired at 93. I'll be happy if I can still put on my own socks at that age. For nearly 27 years, he also wrote a family newsletter called Low Notes, which he'd sent out to his family on a weekly basis, describing what was going on with him and his wife, Mary. In an email just days before his death, he wrote, The publisher regrets to advise that Low Notes may not continue. Its longtime editor's health accounts for last week's absence of this fine publication, and it is unlikely that it will be published this week. Thanks for your loyal support. Even though I didn't have time to interview Mr. Lowe, I still wanted to ask my friend about what it was like to lose her grandfather. And thank you so much to my friend Kendra for opening up and talking with me just the day after he died really intense and then you had to stay at work all day did you were you able to actually work after that yeah I mean it was it's one of these strange I think it's like a probably a defense mechanism (laughs) where I mean I first it's again like I I was really super sad and then you stop and you're like I mean as far as death goes this is probably a good way like if this had to happen he died at home he died in his bed my mom got to say goodbye he was without pain so like obviously I'm really really sad but then you try to be like but this is the best way it could have happened and try to take like some comfort in that and make yourself feel better Mm -hmm. and then there's also like well what am I going to go home and do you know just go home and like cry like that's all obviously also a acceptable response and if that's what has to happen but like I had a, a hearing I have a hearing tomorrow oh I had a work dinner tonight I have tons of work so it's like you know I I didn't feel like yeah so then a, a couple times during the day like I went to Pilates at lunch and as I was going into Pilates I was like ah my grandfather's dead and I got yeah. a little bit overwhelmed with emotion I was like okay let's let's power through this like I'm alive and I can't exercise <laughs> so And Kendra went on. She lives on, like most of us do when we lose someone we love. We figure out how to contain both happiness and sadness, 
and we figure out how to get up in the morning. Kendra, just like her grandfather, is a lawyer, and she did end up going to her hearing the next day. She powered through. She powers through because she has to, and because she holds on to what life was like with her grandfather. She told me one of her favorite memories with her grandfather was playing cards with him when she was a kid, specifically hearts. He was fiercely competitive and was impossible to beat. He never did let her win just because she was a kid. But Kendra might have also responded to her grandfather's death in the way that she did because she shares some similarities to her grandfather. He sounded like someone who would have definitely powered through. Two years into his college education, he decided to list in the Army Air Corps after the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was deployed with a 10th Division to India and Burma. As a navigator on B-25 bombers, he flew 74 missions, earning the Distinguished Flying Cross. After living what many would describe as a good life, I was curious about what a good death might look like for him. So with your grandpa, I know if I were to have interviewed him, I would have asked him like what he thinks a good death for him would be like. And what would you imagine he would have said knowing him like you do? Oh, God, that's a that's a hard question. I don't know. I mean, I hope he would say exactly what happened, you know, like he got to live at home to the end of his life he didn't have to be in a hospital he got to be with his wife he got to be with his one of his daughters Mm -hmm. he would win in his sleep I hope he would say what it was and I think he would have Um, but I really don't know I mean I never asked him like imagine tell me (laughs) I think that's what everyone imagines like to go peacefully in your sleep is probably the less painful way yeah So what does it mean to have a good death? Is that something that you think about? Would you want it to be quick so there is little time to think about it? Or would you want it to be drawn out so there is time to say goodbye? I know for me, I would definitely want it to be sunny and warm outside. I know that's something I won't be able to control, but I really hate being cold. Maybe when the time comes... I'll ask my doctor if he or she can keep me alive until summer. If you haven't thought about what a good death would look like for you, maybe it's worth thinking about. Maybe it's worth talking about with your family or a friend. These things are no doubt hard to talk about. I get it. So I wanted to know from Kendra what it was going to be like asking her grandfather about being interviewed for this podcast, which is all about death and dying. So thinking about me interviewing him for the podcast, how were you going to approach that conversation with him? Yeah, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot ever since you and I have talked about it. Um, And it was like, there were a lot of, like, first, I was really hesitant. Like, there was a lot of fear about approaching him because you feel like you're intruding kind of like it's a first of all you're asking somebody a favor as at the baseline and then you're asking them a favor of a really sensitive issue (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and so and 
I was also really scared, not only about him, like him, obviously the reason I thought about it is because I thought he would be receptive. Uh, but I was more, it turned out I was more scared about like other people as well. Like how will my, will my parents be angry if I ask him? Will my grandma be angry if I ask him? Will his, you know, other people involved be angry? Um, so I hadn't gotten beyond kind of those considerations and still justifying it in my head of why I thought it was a good idea to actually mm-hmm. like logistics of how I would do it. <laughs> um, but probably I would have called him and just been like, Hey grandpa, you know, and I'm lucky that he was like very cognizant, you know, that I don't know if that would work with everyone, but for him, I could have just called him and been like, you know, my super good friend who, you know, is doing this, project and would you be interested mm-hmm. think it over yeah that's how I think I would have gone about it as Kendra mentioned there are so many considerations when talking to people about dying especially when talking to them about their own imminent death especially when doing it on a podcast and I just was going down this rabbit hole of like what am I doing why no one is going to want to do this. <laughs> and then I just started thinking like, well, maybe people do. Maybe people do want to talk about it. And maybe people who are going through it are tired of feeling like people tiptoe around it. Um, but I don't know. I could be totally wrong. No, I mean, that was one thing like I was thinking about a lot also is, you know, one reason I thought my grandpa would be good is because he's super frank and he would say things, you know, like we're going to be gone soon at dinner and everyone gets super uncomfortable and it's like, ah, ha, ha, you know, not if we can help it. And you're like, probably he wants us to be like, guys, this is a fucking fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we can all not want it to be true, but like it is. <laughs> and so probably like a lot of people would, like you're saying, be like, finally, I can talk frankly about this and not have everyone want to run away and hide in a closet and cry. So when dying at some point is a fact of living, why do so many of us want to run away into a closet and cry? In the next episode, we will explore a similar question. I'll ask friends, family, old co-workers, social workers, a doctor, and a medical ethicist about why they think it's so hard for a lot of us to talk about death and dying. I also want to share something big and exciting from my life that has nothing to do with death and dying. Quite the opposite, actually. Thank you so much for listening.